Welcome to the Horizon Church Podcast. Thanks for joining us. Our mission as a church is to win people to Jesus Christ, disciple people in Jesus Christ, and send people for Jesus Christ. If you'd like to learn more or partner with us, simply go to horizon.org. We hope this episode encourages you in your walk with Jesus as you continue to grow in His love and truth. Good morning, church. Happy December. We never met. My name is Pastor Mitch, one of the pastors on staff here at the church. Excited to be here with you this morning and do this like little mini series, mini Christmas series before our Christmas series, if you will. Um, Luke chapter 1 is where we're going to be this morning. Also, Matthew chapter, Matthew chapter 1, if you want to find that with me. Um, I love Christmas time. It's my favorite. And I know it's weird to be outside in December. Um, but we get to be outside in December. I'm excited for. Um, it's going to snow. We say that every year. And every year it does. Um, no, but for real, um, pumped to be able, as Stephen said, to just keep doing what we're doing, keep getting together as the body, keep getting together as the church. Uh, Jesus didn't leave any one of us to save or to tell the world about what he's done, uh, but to do it as a group, to do it as a community, to do it as the church. It's what he left, the church. Um, and this is a huge part of that, and then celebrating communion this morning. I want to look at the beginning of the Christmas story, if you will, and we'll, we'll pick it up in Luke chapter 1. Uh, for a little bit of context, we meet before Mary. We meet uh, this priest and his wife, Zacharias and Elizabeth, who happen to be related to, Elizabeth does, to Mary, the mother of Jesus. Uh, and this is where everything really, really changes uh, from Old Testament to New Testament. Uh, there's 400 years of silence between the Old Testament and the New Testament. The things uh, really aren't happening spiritually. If you read and study Ezekiel, it shows uh, and explains for us that the Holy Spirit actually leaves the earth. And so you have this priest, Zacharias, that we meet here in Luke chapter 1. And he, uh, it says in Scripture that the lot fell on him to go into the temple and burn incense. And Israel would gather around and they would pray outside the temple as he did this. And it almost became for 400 years slightly religious. And go and check the box and be there and and get it done and and then leave. And everything changes here in Luke chapter 1 in Zacharias. And an angel shows up while he's in the temple. Hasn't happened in a very, very, very long time. And this angel shows up and he says, Zacharias, your prayers have been heard and they are answered. You and your wife are going to have a kid. See, most likely Elizabeth wanted more than anything, probably being a good religious wife of a priest, to be the mother of the Messiah. And the most difficult thing... Uh, probably for her, as this believing woman of faith, married to a pastor, let's call it, uh, is to not have kids. And they're very old at this time. She was barren. And this angel shows up and says, you're going to have a kid. You're going to have a son. You're going to call him John. And Zacharias responds in verse 18, 
he says to the angel, how shall I know this? For I am an old man and my wife is well advanced in years. I love and am almost humored by Gabriel's response in 19. And the angel answered and said to him, I am Gabriel, who stands in the presence of God and was sent to speak to you and bring you these glad tidings. But behold, you will be mute and not able to speak until these, these things take place because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their own time. And the people waited for Zacharias and marveled that he lingered so long in the temple. Something is different. But when he came out, he could not speak to them. And they perceived that he had seen a vision in the temple, for he beckoned to them and remained speechless. So it was, as soon as the days of his service were completed, that he departed to his own house. Now after those days, his wife Elizabeth conceived, and she hid herself five months, saying, Thus the Lord has dealt with me in the days which he looked on me, to take away my reproach among people. I love the response of Gabriel, uh, because I can only imagine what's going on in his head. I think for 400 years... Jesus and the angels are like, let's go. Send us down. Let's, let's do this. I, I know what I'm going to do. I know the job that I have. Like, let me go do it. Let's go get the ball rolling. And this is what happens. The New Testament begins. The way for you and for me to become adopted into the family of God is starting and unrolling. And I think for 400 years, Jesus is like, come on, let's do it. I'm ready. Let's go. Contrastly, I think right now, Jesus is saying, hang on, not yet. Wait, don't send me back yet. Let the church do its thing. Let more people hear. And Gabriel says, you know who I am? Let me tell you who I am. Let me tell you where I come from. And I think in his head, he's like, this is not how I pictured this going. That the pastor dude is like, nah. <laughs> right? But Gabriel's not done. Luke 1, 26. Now in the sixth month, angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth. Galilee's all the way up in the north, northeast of Israel. Not thought of very highly to a virgin, verse 27, betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice, highly favored one. The Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. But when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying, and considered what manner of greeting this was. Then the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive and bring forth a son, and shall call his name Jesus, and he will be great, and he will become, be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. Then Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I do not know a man? And the angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Highest will overshadow you. Therefore also, that Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. Now indeed, Elizabeth, your relative, has also conceived a son in her old age. And this is now the sixth month for her who was called barren. 
for with God nothing will be impossible. And Mary said, the best response we could ever give, Behold the maidservant of the Lord, let it be according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Goes on to say that Mary then arose from there, goes and visits her cousin Elizabeth. That is quite the journey that she's going to do three times in the coming months of her pregnancy. She's going to go from Nazareth. We believe that Zacharias and Elizabeth live just south of Jerusalem, possibly on the hill leading up to Bethlehem. If you've been there, she's going to make that journey um, from Galilee to Nazareth to be with her relative. Most likely because she's pregnant and she's going to be there for the rest of the pregnancy and help with the delivery of John the Baptist. She gets up and she goes. It's interesting um, that Luke records Mary's side of the story for us. We'll we'll jump over to Matthew chapter 1 and we'll see Joseph's side. uh, But it's very purposeful that they write these two different sides. You see, Luke, throughout all of his gospel, is trying to prove and explain in his professional opinion as a doctor that Jesus is fully man. That's why it's important that we have the story of Mary and his human birth. Matthew, not his point, not his goal, not his mission. Matthew wants to write and describe and explain to us that he is king, the rightful king of Israel. The rightful king to the throne that at this time Herod the Great would be sitting on and and has usurped. He has no right to that throne. Other than the Romans who really rule over the land have allowed him to be king. Which explains for us why he gets... So paranoid when he hears from the wise men that a new king has been born because he knows he has no right. And then follows the massacre of the innocents that every boy under two would be slaughtered once again. So Matthew records this lineage, this genealogy of Jesus, that he is the rightful heir to the throne In Israel, in Jerusalem. Verse 18, Matthew chapter 1. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph. Betrothed, very important um, for us this morning. It means contractually married. There has been a transaction already happened that Joseph would have offered and been received by Mary's father. So they are legally married. It even would include... In the next verse 19, that Joseph, her husband, already with titles, husband and wife. You would need, if you wanted to separate at this stage, a divorce. So he would have offered, paid for, to the father of the bride, a dowry, accepted. Now they are betrothed, contractually And it would be his job now to go make a home, prepare a place for them as a couple. And this is that engagement period from we're legally married to fulfilling scripture and her leaving her parents' house and them becoming one, one family, one flesh, a religiously or ceremonially married couple. So... Mary was betrothed to Joseph before they came together. She was found with child of the Holy Spirit. Then Joseph, her husband, being just a man and not wanting to make a public example, 
was minded to put her away secretly. Just a man meaning possibly multiple things. Uh, we could look at it as uh, a just man, as a righteous man, as a man of faith, a man of religion. We can look at it as he's just a normal dude, just a carpenter guy, not a big deal. No big deal kind of dude other than being of the house and lineage of David. Was not minded to put her away secretly. Uh, was was minded to put her away secretly. Verse 20, but while he was thinking about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. She will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Huge change, Old Testament to New Testament, that I don't want you to miss, and is massive. We change here in Matthew chapter 1, the first page, after the Old Testament, it goes from God's people to his people, the Messiah's people. And we just went right there in the first chapter of the New Testament, we went from the Jew to the Greek. That what is about to be accomplished in the birth, life, death, and resurrection of our Savior is for everyone. And we're already explained that here by the angel. Verse 22, so all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. Then Joseph, being aroused from his sleep, did as the angel of the Lord commanded and took to him his wife and did not know her until she had brought forth her firstborn son, and he called his name Jesus. Okay, here's what I want to do this morning. As I was studying and reading and just getting ready for Christmas, reading Matthew chapter 1 specifically, and something crazy jumped off the page, at least crazy for me, crazy for me in my story, in my relationship with God, my relationship with Jesus. I could not get over how much doubt shows up in the Christmas story. For me, filled with doubt. See, Mary, she says, she doesn't even say anything, actually. She's just freaking out. This angel shows up. And the angel has to repeat to her highly favored one. What is she doubting? She's, she's doubting her favor with the Lord. Been there, done that, personally. Zacharias, what's he doubting? Man, he's got, like, God doubts. The pastor dude who should have known, like, same thing that happened to Abraham, right? Old age birth, it's been, like, that's hero of the faith, man. And he's like, you can't do it again. No way. Or maybe it's just self-doubt, like, no, not with me. And Joseph, man, Joseph's interesting because it could go a plethora of different ways. We're not quite sure. Like, did, did Mary say, hey, uh, Joseph, here's the deal. Um, angel showed up, said, I'm going to have a kid. I know uh, we're doing this right. We're doing the engagement period right. We haven't had sex yet, as we're not supposed to, but I'm going to have a kid, okay? Also, I'm just going to split for like three months I'll see you later. She takes off. Like the timeline for me is Angel shows up. I don't know if they have that conversation. She goes and sees Elizabeth. And I want to bet that she probably stayed for three months until John was born and then makes her journey back up to Galilee, to Nazareth. And, you know, she's got the baby bump. And if they have the conversation, maybe there's a little bit of doubt in Joseph. Like, oh, okay, kind of crazy. Do I really want to marry this girl? See you later. She comes back showing, okay, that was real. 
Or they don't have a conversation at all, and she comes back showing, and he's like doubting her faithfulness, doubting her purity. But either way, most likely doubting his plans that I think being a just man probably prayed about, probably sought the Lord about, and is doubting his plans to marry this girl, which is why the angels got to show up and be like, yo, dude, marry her. It's cool. It's good. This is of the Lord. I have significantly and severely struggled with doubt. Somewhere around 11, 12 years old until 18, it was the worst. And I want to blame Kurt Cameron in the Left Behind series. <laughs> but it's not completely his fault. But I would, no joke, um, go to bed almost every night. And I would lay there and psych myself up to think that the rapture happened and I got left behind. I have never once in my life, this is not a struggle that I have, I don't doubt God. I've never doubted creation. I've never doubted scripture. I don't doubt God. I don't doubt what Jesus did. His birth, his death, his resurrection, the miracles, nothing. I doubt me. Do I love him? Do I have a relationship with him? I struggle with self-doubt. I would lay in bed in fear that I didn't have a relationship that I didn't love Jesus, and I would get up and I would check, see if my little brother was there. Because, you know, being this pastor's kid, I'm like, okay, age of accountability, he's younger, open the door. My brother was a terrible child, so that didn't really mean much. Close his door. I go to my sister's room. For some reason, when you're a kid, you think girls are more holy, so you check. Sister's there, okay. My dad's a pastor, so if he's there, um, go check my dad. He's there, but if my mom was there, she's an angel, so we're good for sure, Okay. Everybody's there, go back, get in bed. I'd start the whole cycle over again. Eight, nine years of this, okay? So I do the, you know, logical thing that any kid does, you know, and they do the whole, hey, mom, dad, I have a friend, right? And this is what they're going through. So we sit, we look at scripture, we talk, we'd have a conversation about my imaginary friend that happens to be me, um, this was my life cycle. And so as I study and as I read, I'm like, holy cow, there's so much doubt. And then you can even like pull out more doubts, especially like if you grew up Catholic and you really read these stories and you're like, hey, Matthew 1 really explains um, that, yes, in fact, uh, she is not a virgin after, after Jesus' birth. And they do go on to have kids and she doesn't remain a virgin for her entire life like they t like to teach in the Catholic Church. We can get into crazy, deep doubts. You look at Zacharias who doubts in this crazy moment where the angel's like, listen, dude, you're not going to talk until these things happen. And if you continue to read his story, John the Baptist is born, and then eight days later, as is customary, he goes to get circumcised, and they say, hey, we need to name him. We're going to name him after his father, Zacharias. And, and Elizabeth goes, nope, his name's John. And they're like, why would his name be John? There's no Johns in your family. And they have to plead with Zacharias and be like, that's not a good name. And he has to call for a writing service and say, yes, his name is John. They name him John. And then, boom, his tongue is loose and he's able to praise and worship God. See, John the Baptist grows up. He gets to baptize Jesus in the Jordan River. And it's crazy, man. Heaven opens up. 
God says audibly, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. And this dove descends from heaven and lands on his shoulder. And it's like, wow, awesome, right? Like it's really hard probably for Joseph or for Mary. I want to think. It's pretty difficult to doubt God when a stinking angel shows up in front of you and has a conversation. And yet the pastor guy does exactly that. And yet John the Baptist, who hears and experiences these things, when he gets in a tough situation, when he's in jail waiting to be beheaded, he has to question and doubt and say, hey, did we get it right? Is Jesus really who he says he is, who he thought he was? Did I prepare the way for the right person? Is this actually correct? Jesus responds and says, yeah, man, you got it right. These are the things that are happening. These are the miracles that are happening. Said that John is the greatest man born among women. I think doubt plays a very significant role in our lives. It would be a whole lot easier. I would love it. If the angel just showed up and was like, boom, it's real, boom, awesome, proven, right? That's a proof that I would like. I'm like, and I've talked before on, I'm like just a doer kind of person. I like to go get things done. We had a funeral here yesterday. A firefighter captain from across the street died in the line of duty. 31 years, station three across the street. And so we were here massive. They're Fire trucks from Fresno out back. We had this crazy windstorm during the week, and this roof fell down on this, and we had to get things fixed up, and we wanted campus to look as good as possible for this memorial service, and so I had to climb these trusses. I'm just a doer kind of person. I hate heights. I'm very afraid of heights. That's why God made me short. Um, so I, pu- I put on the harness, but I was also in flip-flops, Mr. Brad Dotson. And there's like 16 firefighters sitting right here in the front, and I'm climbing this back truss, and they're like, does he have flip-flops on? I can hear them. I'm like, you're not helping. So I did the only logical thing anyone in my position would do. I kicked the flip-flops off, and they go, is he barefoot? I said, Pastor Stephen, this is the safest time I could climb these trusses with like 20 firefighters waiting for me to fall. But I'm, I'm harnessed in. I've got, you know, full body harness on it. I've got my safety fall strap because I have a mom and a wife and a son. Things change when you grow up. But I think doubt plays this amazing role of dependency. See, at some point, if you are a Christian, you came to the realization that you are not good enough. You cannot do it on your own. No doubt, you're not good enough. So we enter into this relationship with Jesus, this one, this miraculous birth who was born and had to live every moment of every day perfect so that he could then go die. This gruesome death on a cross so that he could be so that he could take our place. And as we've already looked, 
And as 1 John 2, 2 would say again, that he himself is the propitiation for our sins. It's a giant word that says the only acceptable payment for God. For our sins. But not just for yours. Not for yours only. But also for the whole world. That that dependency that we had to have to enter into this relationship would remain. Doubt shows up in almost every major story in Scripture. Or we can assume that there is doubt. When God has a conversation with Noah, he's like, hey, you're the only righteous man left on the earth. You're going to build a boat. I've talked about this story before. I love this story. And I hate this story all at the same time because I'm like, dude, God, do that with me. Tell me what to do. Show up, have a conversation. I like building stuff too. That'd be great. And then you read and then you study and you're like, 100 years it took him to build this boat. There's got to be doubt. I can't do something for like 10 days without getting bored and tired of it. I want to move on to the next thing. What does that say about a relationship with Jesus? I mean, we are told how it's to go. For however long we have from when we meet him until we see him, face to face in heaven, we're told plainly, we're told clearly, this is the life you're to lead, this is the life that you're to live. We see an amazing example of these two engaged people of faith that remain pure until their wedding day. That doesn't happen all that often here anymore in church, in Christianity. I tell our students all the time, especially the girls, man, if there is pressure not to do the right thing or not to be the right way until you are married, that guy sucks at loving you. Oh, man, we love each other. I don't think so because the Bible says that love is patient. Like, number one, we can stop there and we're already having a problem. And Jesus says, hey, if you love me, you keep my commandments. Ah, We're just striking out in the love category real quick. He's made it plain. He's made it simple. Here's how it's to be. And guess what? It's better for you. Now, this is something that we doubt often. We doubt a lot. But culture says this, or is he really right? Is he sure that that's the best way? It just seems like maybe he picked a bunch of rules out of a hat and said, hey, prove that you love me. No, no, no. He proved that he loved us. Romans 5.8 says that God demonstrated his own love towards us, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. As I look at my own life, struggling with doubt, as I talk with students or talk with people about their doubts, most often, if we really break it down and boil down doubt, it becomes self-doubt. Sometimes still doubting God, but usually just I, I don't want to believe in that or I can't believe in that or like Zacharias, I don't understand how that could happen. Maybe you're thinking, Mitch, I think you missed a moment of doubt. Mary asked the exact same question that Zacharias asked. She asked how. But I think the response from the angel tells us what she's asking. 
how she's asking the question how. I think, I think Zacharias is asking from a position of doubt. And I think Mary is asking from a position of faith. I want to learn. I want to know. I want to grow. How is he who is so good going to do this? It doesn't make sense in my head, but I'm going to approach it from a position of faith. I love now that we're in December. My favorite definition of faith um, other than scripturally, comes out of the movie The Santa Claus, which in my house we watch on Laserdisc. Come on, I'm not that young, right? Okay, so you got to flip it over. Anyways, I love when Tim Allen gets to uh, the North Pole and he gets into that presidential Santa Claus suite. And he goes out on the balcony, he looks down, and he says, are those polar bears down there? And the elf that's like 400 years old said, yes, those are polar bears. And he says to her, I see them, but I don't believe them. And she responds in saying, seeing isn't believing. Believing is seeing. That I don't get it. Mary doesn't understand how this is going to happen, but I'm going to choose to believe it. And in believing first, then we go and see it unfold. And he gives her this amazing, hey, I'm just going to prove that anything can happen. Your old cousin, Elizabeth, six months pregnant. Here's the key. Here's the point of everything this morning. I believe and I have learned, and even in that moment of Mary wanting to approach it from a position of faith, humility is the key to unwrapping doubt. Whether it's self-doubt, whether it's doubt of God, doubt of scripture, doubt of creation, or whatever it is that you might be struggling with. Maybe you're doubting because of something going on in your life. Maybe like Elizabeth, you can't have kids. Or maybe you've lost someone. Or maybe like the family that lost their dad sitting in the front row yesterday is doubting this faith that they grew up in. The answer for me always is humility. Here's the thing about humility. You, you can never be good at it. It's like, it's not possible to be good at humility. Like you think you're good at it and you're bad at it. It's just something we got to keep doing. Keep practicing. It's been the key for me, man, when I get caught up in that, I, I got to stop thinking about me. The proof that I want be, beyond Jesus dying on the cross. Here's what is so incredible about that. It's so incredible about what 1 John 2, 2 says, that he would die for the whole world. When you combine that with the verse that says that, man, we're going to be surprised who's there talking about heaven and who's not. Clearly, not everybody goes to heaven but everyone has been paid for. For those that will remain in doubt and choose not to believe he even proves his love for them. I'm kind of excited um, about what we've been doing since whatever, March or however long we've been outside. We were in our houses for a while, but then May 31st, I believe it was, out on the back. When I invite people to church, the number one reason they don't want to come, for me, to me, I don't know if it's a cop-out or if it's real, they say, man, if I go to church, the ceiling's going to fall on my head. I said, church outside. <laughs> Gavin Newsom doesn't know. More people are going to come to Christ. They're saying, man, I'm so bad. 
I'm so bad I couldn't go there. We just need a little bit of humility, man. Your sins, it's a big deal, but it's not that big of a deal. He's got it. already took care of it. Humility becomes the key. We're so good at getting in the way as humans. We're so good at getting in the way. You know what we're really, really good at? We're really good at allowing something that we've already done this sin that may have been in our life, maybe we didn't do it right before we got married, maybe we've cheated or lied or stole or whatever you want to put in there, that we're really good at letting that, that's already been paid for, that's already been forgiven, that's already been said, I got it, get in the way of what God maybe wants to do in our life. And I think maybe as frustrated as Gabriel is, when he's like, bro, do you know who I am? Do you know how big of a deal this is? We haven't been, we haven't, been here in 400 years and you want to be like yeah, I don't think so not me not the time not now no way I'm too old see we do that with sin and we're like man uh, I can't or I shouldn't I don't know what Joseph's thinking I don't know what he's doubting doubting his plans to marry this girl doubting if he should be the father maybe his doubt's the same as Mary's doubts like why well, I haven't found favor what do you mean have to repeat to Mary, you have found favor. And Joseph's like, well, man, I can't be that dad. I'm just a guy. I'm just a normal, I build stuff. No, you have found favor with God. Everyone, all of us, that's what changes here. All of a sudden, it's offered to the whole world because this Jesus would come and be born and die on the cross without a shadow of a doubt would prove God's love for each and every person, he wants you, no matter what you've done. Don't let that cause doubt. Stop thinking about you and those things that you've done. Think about the Savior and the things that he's done. That's why communion is so important. Scripture says that we would do it as often as we can. Why? To remind us what we should be focusing on, not this check the box, we went and burned incense or drank the juice and ate the bread, but to remind us of Emmanuel, that God is with us and that we would operate then from a position of faith, not doubt, but faith and humility. I might not understand it. I might not get it. And you know what? It's supposed to be that way. Why? So that I would depend on him. The worst witness I think we could be as Christians is someone who starts the relationship that way of I need Jesus. And then to go, all right, sweet, now I got it. I'll see you when I see you. And I think we do it every day. Unfortunately, more often, we act that way instead of depending on Jesus. Who says, I got it all under control. Lord, I love you so much. And thank you for this story. Thank you that I'm not alone. As someone who struggles with doubt, I got it. Thank you for hope. 
I think it's there for a reason. And the reason is that I would get closer to you. And the reason is I would depend more on you, that I would put more into my relationship with you, that I would practice some gosh darn humility. Stop thinking about me, but think about your son, think about you, think about what you did, what you've done, what you've accomplished. No matter what's going on in my life, you say you want me, you prove that you love me, that you want me, you made a way for me to know you. Not know you in heaven, not know you then, know you later, know you now, as you are with me. You are Emmanuel. Thanks for joining the Horizon Church podcast. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast channel. And if this message has blessed you, please share it either directly or on social media. If you live in the San Diego area, we'd love to have you join us at a weekend service or to catch our live stream, visit horizon.org slash live every Sunday at nine and 11 a.m. Pacific. If you'd like to learn more or partner with us, simply go to horizon.org. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. We'll see you next time.